Your teen requested a ride, but this time not from you. It's through their Uber teen account. You drive your teenager around a lot to their friend Jacob's house, their other friend Jake's house, to James's, to Jaden's, to Jalen's, to. Oh, uh, mom, this is Jake's house, not Jacob's. Now with an Uber teen account, your teen can request a ride under your supervision. They'll ride with a highly rated driver, and with live trip tracking, you'll follow along the whole ride to their friends' houses that all sound the same. Add your teen to your Uber account today. See app for details. Bye, mom. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Traveling? Volunteering? Spending time with family? What's your retirement look like? With income planning from Fidelity Wealth Management, a dedicated advisor can help you grow and protect your wealth. They'll look at your full financial picture and help you create a flexible strategy that considers things like market conditions and healthcare expenses, so you can stop worrying about the future and enjoy whatever comes next. Visit fidelity.com slash income planning. Investment minimums apply. Fidelity Brokerage Services member NYSE SIPC. On Theme is a production of iHeartRadio and Fairweather Friends Media. You are Imagine if artists were held criminally liable for the lines they said or acts they portrayed while making art. Like if Jason Bateman was convicted for money laundering for his role as Marty in the TV series Ozark. Or if police heard Carrie Underwood singing about taking a Louisville slugger to the headlights of her cheetah man's car and put out a warrant for her arrest. As the YSL Rico trial in Atlanta continues, rapper Young Thug doesn't have to imagine. Happening tomorrow, rapper Young Thug and his co-defendants in the YSL Rico trial will be Young Thug is accused of leading a violent street gang, and prosecutors are using his song lyrics as evidence. He is the one they're all afraid of. He's the one that's king slime. But Young Thug isn't the first rapper to get caught in the crosshairs of the weaponization of rap lyrics. One of the earliest and most commonly cited cases is the 1991 Foster case, where a Seventh Circuit appeals court upheld the conviction of Derek Foster, whose prosecution relied on rap lyrics he wrote about drugs and narcotics trafficking. Another early high-profile example was Snoop Dogg's 1993 murder trial. We, the jury, in above entitled action, find a defendant, Calvin Brodus, not guilty of the crime of murder in the first degree. However, it was the People vs. Olguin case in 1994 that arguably had the biggest influence on the use of this tactic. In this case, Cesar Javier Olguin and Francisco Calderon Mora were convicted and the prosecution used rap lyrics as evidence. Prosecutors in the aforementioned cases held the same views as Fonnie Willis, Fulton County, Georgia's district attorney. Advice. Don't confess to crimes on rap lyrics if you do not want them used, or at least get out of my county. These cases marked the beginning of a controversial legal trend where rap lyrics were used as evidence in criminal trials, sparking debates about racial stereotypes, First Amendment rights, and the potential bias against rap music and its artists. I'm Eves. And I'm Katie. Today's episode, Rhyme and Punishment. A new documentary, As We Speak, explores the weaponization of rap lyrics in the legal system. 
shedding light on the use of artistic expression as evidence in criminal trials. Directed by Jason Harper and featuring hip-hop artist Kimba as a guide and character, the film delves into the ways in which rap lyrics have been used in court, examining the impact of this practice on the music industry and its artists. Hi, Kimba. Hi, Kimba. Hey, what's going on? Can you guys hear me? Yes, we can. Perfect. And we got a chance to catch up with Jason and Kimba to talk to them about As We Speak and the implications of criminalizing an art form. So the beginning of As We Speak, we saw you, Kimba, in the archives looking at the criminalization, but also like the demonization of Black music from slave songs to blues to rock and roll and now rap. And I think going into the documentary, you can feel like, oh, this is like a really new phenomenon, especially being in Atlanta and we're seeing what's happening with Thug. But it's the act of policing Black expression is really quite old. So like, how did both of you um, feel about that connection, that historical connection um, when you were making this film and like unraveling all these details? Yeah, I mean, that was one of the first scenes in my mind that was really crystal clear. And it started from when I found these Dutch slave trader journals from 1670 that said we can hear the Africans communicating on the slave ship on the Middle Passage. Then they had written, we can hear them communicating, but we don't know what they're saying. We don't understand. And that to me sounded like exactly what was happening in, in courtrooms today. And so I thought if we went back and looked at every single uniquely Black genre from then all the way to today, how many other times did that happen? And it turned out that it had happened every single, with every single genre that the Black community had had created. And um, then it was no surprise that we're experiencing what we're experiencing right now uh, with hip hop. Even with jazz, there wasn't, there's no words. <laughs> like, yeah. The demonized jazz is like, all right, what is this really about, you know? Yeah, and I, the quote, we can hear what they're saying, but we don't understand. And when people are in the courtroom, like, oh, like the example of like making a killings, like, well, clearly that means you're making a lot of money. But when you have a jury of maybe mostly white people and a judge that's white and a prosecutor who's white and, you know, the big, scary black man who said he's making a killing. Do you think it is like really like um, misinterpretation or just like refusing, um, like willful ignorance, refusing to understand I think that's a really big question. <laughs> like, um, I, I think part of it is the idea of like, um, they don't respect us enough to think that we can speak in metaphor and that we can speak. They don't, they don't see what we do as art. Uh, and another part of it is just how effective of a tool it is. Like, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> it gets the job done. And so they're going to use it. You know, why try to understand? And the answer for them is, is uh, there's there's no reason to if it's working, um, then then don't question it. Yeah, it seems like it's kind of like a magic bullet when you get into the courtroom and right. you hear these lyrics because when you like when it's not over a beat, when just like some you know uptight <laughs> white guy right. is reading it, you're like, hey, they really killing yeah. folks out here. <laughs> right, right, right. And that came up in the film when they were talking about the difference. They were doing the study and reading the differences between one genre of music and how that came out yeah. and versus how people were able to understand it and then a different genre of music. Mm-hmm. Can y'all um, talk about the Badman Blunder study, um, describe it, and then describe like the not-so-surprising results? Yeah, the study was done 
um, by a professor named Adam Dunbar, who took the same set of lyrics, uh, the same lyric, uh, which is from a song called Bad Men's Blunder. Well, early one evening, I was rolling around. I was feeling kind of mean. I shot the deputy down. From 1960, like an old kind of country folk song. But he showed it to people and showed it to three different groups. One group, he said that these lyrics are rap. One group, he said these lyrics are country. And one group, he said these lyrics are uh, heavy metal. And depending on the group, they all interpreted um, the same set of lyrics differently in relation to uh, whether or not the they felt that the singer or the artist behind the lyrics was more prone to violence, meant what they said literally as opposed to figuratively, et cetera. And Kim, I can tell you kind of what, what the result of that was. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly what you would think they would be. <laughs> uh, people people thought that um, when, when they thought the lyrics were by black artists they, or hip-hop artists, they saw it as more violent. They saw... Um, they saw the art as, as less of an art. Like they, they thought the artist was more likely to actually do those things. And um, it just speaks to the, the subconscious biases that people have and how that can play in a courtroom. It's like when, when you're reading lyrics to a jury that see, you know, the big scary black man or, or, or a judge that, uh, doesn't see himself in the person, like he doesn't see like his his grandkids, his nephews, nieces in the person. Um, and when the lyrics are sometimes the only evidence, um, you can just see how how effective it is. It's still extremely effective, you know. Yeah, it's like you're always trying to convince people who see you as an other, who see you as an outsider of your humanity, because exactly. it so often takes like mm-hmm. exactly what you said of I see something of myself in you or something that I know that I can relate to that is more human, which often ends up being a family member before somebody's able to to even form any, any sort of connection or empathy. Yeah. And that becomes very clear in this case. Right. Yeah. And that's empirical, too. Like, in, in the UK especially, they've done studies with judges um, and studies that measure what type of sen- sentencing, the harshness of the sentencing, with white judges, with uh, white accused um, people who have been accused of crimes versus black people who have been accused of crimes. And uh, there's a huge disparity uh, with, as you might expect, the um, the young black men who are charged of the same crimes are receiving much heavier punishments. And it's exactly because of that. There's not, there's not a built-in empathy there. And then there's, of course, you know, 400 plus years of uh, of institutionalized racism and literal institutions, but also just programmed into the culture that they're not aware of, or, or theoretically they're not aware of that. That's kind of programmed into the way that they see the world and see people. So it's a lot to it's a lot to fight against, and almost impossible to fight when you land in that courtroom. We'll be back with Jason and Kimba after the break. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents 
a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. What does it take to run a small business? Heart, smarts, and the nerve to risk it all in the face of adversity. Listen to The Unshakables, the new podcast now available from Chase for Business and iHeart. It features real stories from real small business owners who take you through the turmoil, triumphs, and quick turns that help their businesses break through. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank and a member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase and Company. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. What do you think it is that it makes it hard for people to separate the art from the artist with rap? That's a complicated thing, too. Um, the idea is to make people feel like you're real, you know? Like, like if, if we don't think an artist is real, then, then we sort of respect them less. And it's not really the same in, in movies, you know? We, we know that there's a director. We know that somebody wrote the script. Um, and in other art forms, it's not really the same. But... Um, and then even in other genres, it's not such a focal point. Did you find that you had any sort of deepening of your love and care for the art or for all of the people who came before you in hearing these stories about people who were punished so wrongfully? Totally. It's difficult to talk to Mac Phipps Artist and hear and stories. Mac McKinley Phipps Jr. was convicted of manslaughter in 2001 after a prosecutor and not feel to like, an all-white jury uh, you know, empathetic, you know, like somebody that lost 21 years of his life uh, for a crime he didn't commit and, and somebody even confessed to it. It's like, that's heartbreaking. Um, and I learned that, of course, like these big cases, big profile cases like Young Thug um, are important. And, and um, but there's so many other people that aren't like huge profile cases that might be in a small city, might be um, doesn't have the million dollar lawyer, doesn't have the people to speak up for them, that they don't really have a chance when, when this magic bullet, like you said, is introduced. Uh, it could be the only, like I said before, it could be the only evidence um, that they use, and you could still you could still get put away for it. Uh, and so, it definitely deepened my passion of just like we should be able to to say 
you know, we should be able to create the art that we that we want to create, you know. And with Mac Phipps, they splice together lyrics from two different songs. There's no physical evidence. So his really hit me. It just seemed like just so deeply unfair. It was like a very visceral reaction I had. Do you decide not to say certain things in your songs based on just like the climate of how lyrics have been weaponized? Not at all. I I think since learning all of this, I've gone even deeper into, <laughs> into uh, you know, using metaphor just to show uh, how ridiculous it all is, you know, um, just to really exercise that right. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like once you start to sort of censor yourself, then that just waters down the art and people don't really want to hear that. I feel like people could, people could tell when you're not being your, your, your true self. Mm-hmm. You're like thinking about how others are going to yeah, it yeah. watching your back and all that stuff. Yeah. You know, you went to the Bronx, Chicago, Atlanta, mm. LA, London. I, I don't even think about rap when I think about London. Oh, really? I do. Nah, they got some fire okay. in London. <laughs> right. I'll be I thinking about it. Rap. I, don't know. <laughs> I listen to a lot of UK rap. Yeah, I'm an Atlanta but... supremacist child. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she is. She is definitely Atlanta supremacist. <laughs> but my question um, is, because uh, we saw that um, lyrics have been used in like over 700 cases. And those are just the ones that, you know, haven't been pleaded out. Do we see this same phenomenon happening in countries that are majority Black? Say, for instance, like Nigeria or Jamaica. Is it the same type of thing going on? Or is it like, you know, United States, United Kingdom? I shot a documentary in Senegal, which is about about the student riots that were happening at the only public university there. And there's this really vibrant hip-hop movement, underground hip-hop movement that was happening, which was like the main place that the students were able to vocalize their dissent in a way that could spread. And it was very kind of anti, um, anti the, the, the government forces that were oppressing them. But it's a, for them, it was much more kind of direct physical thing. Like, it's not like we're going to lock you up for your lyrics. We're going to like beat you or kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that it's difficult because we're, what Kim and I are kind of exploring in this documentary is the criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. which has its own issues, obviously. Yeah. But in other places in Africa, it's a very it's a very different political dynamic. There are a lot more insidious things that people can do with technology. So do you see any sort of anything around technology coming up in these cases that has been interesting to you? When evidence is brought into a courtroom, Everything is stripped away except for the words. And so they just used the, the lyrics in this case, like the way that the music was created or any. It's like it's almost like they are the technology that's splicing mm-hmm. things together. And it becomes this really kind of, uh, I don't know what, what the word is, like Luddite process where you're just like, I'm going to take scissors and cut this out and put it together with that and say that that's what happened. Um, and they're, they're talking to juries, which they're kind of making it for the lowest common denominator. The courtroom is just a totally different place than reality. And we mm-hmm. saw that here. And we also saw it in London where the theatricality of it is like cranked to 11 and they're wearing wigs. The judge is wearing, you know, a big gray wig, like from the 1700s or something. 
everyone's dressed differently. The place that you're seated as the defendant, it's like you're turned an opposite way from everybody else. It's like the the architecture of the courtroom. It's a totally different world. It's theater. All the world's a stage. It's like you're out there on a stage as a rap artist, but then you walk into a different room and you're not on the stage anymore, but it's still a stage and the prosecutor is on stage mm-hmm. and they are going to use their tools. They're going to use those lyrics um, and weave their artistry around it. In a way, like music videos are brought into court cases True. to, to sort of show. You could be you could be like an extra part of the, somebody's entourage or whatever, be seen in a music video and then be sort of uh, implicated in the same crimes, so they'll say you're in the gang with them, and um, and um, as we know, cameras are everywhere now. Like we we and we film everything, so it's it's easier than ever to show that you know somebody or you're in the same place as somebody. Or, um, and so in that way, the way we use technology, um, I can see getting people into a lot of trouble. I'm interested in seeing in the future how how AI plays into all this. Imagine all the all the fake songs that they try to enter into a, into a case. So do you think prosecutors are at all worried about public safety or is it purely theater? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, the way that it was, the way that it's been described to me, not, not, well, the way that Jay-Z, ever Jay-Z put it, it's just like the prosecutor doesn't, the prosecutor is just in a job. It's just a nine to five. Unlike public defenders, like who are, you know, these are like amazing lawyers who are choosing to do like the most difficult job. And we had many public public defenders come up to us after the screenings and say, like, you nailed it. You got it exactly right. This is what I had these conversations. They're like, we are public defenders in New York and we have this exact conversation with defendants every week. And thank you. We just feel seen for the first time. So like public defenders are like these basically, basically killer lawyers who are basically social workers who are who are doing the best they can in the system, which is totally, it's a David and Goliath situation. But um, the prosecutors, it's, just, it's a nine to five job. Like their job is to convict. If they can, if they win, then, then they get promoted. Maybe eventually you get to be a DA. Maybe, maybe you go into politics. Um, uh, Kamala Harris, for example, like how do you get to be that VP? You, you earned your, earned, well, you made your way there by climbing up the ladder on, a, on a, what is basically like a, a corporate system. And so to them, it doesn't matter. If the tool's available, they'll use it. Um, and so whether or not they care uh, is, is, I think, um, not even brought into it. In order for the criminal justice system to work, you have to have attorneys who are going to just do the job of defending whoever's right in front of them, regardless of guilt or innocence. And so prosecutors are doing the same thing. Who's, who's next on the docket? Okay, my job is to convict. Okay, so... They're going to convict. I, I don't think the morality of it even comes into the court system. It's such a strange world. It doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. Justice does not. It's not about justice. I was wondering if you have any like moments that stood out with you from audience members who consume rap who had no mm-hmm. idea about this. Maybe if there was a moment where they were like, "I thought that once that these people were criminals in their lyrics," and this completely shed light on all of that. Um, you, yeah, you'd be shocked. I've seen total conversions happen, especially later when, with people who I would know before and after stories about, um, oftentimes like parents of people who came, people from a different generation who just didn't even care to understand hip hop, who thought one way before they watched the film and then just had a total 180 watching the film. 
And it's, to me, it's kind of impossible not to have that experience. I felt like when we were going into it with Kimba, it's like, you, of course, you can make like an hour and a half doc on the Mac Phipps case for sure. Um, but he's had like 20 different news specials and or maybe more than that actually about him. And people still haven't heard about what happened. Uh, and those are news specials going out to millions and millions and millions of people. And so it's like, you know, people won't sit down and listen to this story in a, in a way that's just kind of giving you a talking head interview. We had to make the documentary like a song and kind of wrap you up into it. And that's how you can come out the other side, having a 180 change. Because if you can truly see it through Kemba's eyes, through the eyes of the artist, then I don't know how you can see it the other way. More with Jason and Kimba after the break. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. What does it take to run a small business? Heart, smarts, and the nerve to risk it all in the face of adversity. Listen to The Unshakables, the new podcast now available from Chase for Business and iHeart. It features real stories from real small business owners who take you through the turmoil, triumphs, and quick turns that help their businesses break through. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. JPMorgan Chase Bank and a member FDIC. Copyright 2024, JPMorgan Chase and Company. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Do you think, either of you, do you think that the criminalization of rap has implications beyond rap lyrics? I think we've, we've started to see it on social media. Um, just the idea that the things that you say could either be silenced, taken down, or, or you know, it could have people. I, I, think we're all, I think we're all sort of being watched to a certain degree and being um, censored to a certain degree. Um, and I think rap right now is just the the sort of most extreme form of it. Um, and I feel like it's a, it's a sort of dystopian way of seeing life, but I do think it's possible that it can get that way for everyone. Yeah, I think that's where tools are, are tested is on the most vulnerable populations and then they're scaled. Yeah, that'd be so cool if you can see the through line of 
as we speak, and then it's like, yeah. oh, actually, I feel like um, that would be crazy. The new Jim Crow had that impact, where it didn't stop mass incarceration, mm-hmm. but people really knew about it more and were like against it. It swung yeah. the consensus, for yeah. Sure. And that's important. Like, that's a first step to so many things is changing people's mindset about something. And I also really think, even outside of all of the legal stuff, just the emphasis that this places on the sophistication of rap. Because rap is an art form. Like, the fact that these people are taking these lyrics and (laughs) misconstruing them, I'm like, are you you thinking? Do you have a brain at all? (laughs) But I think it just shows how so many people try to minimize the artistry of rap and what it does for people and how it's poetry and how it can be used in so many different forms and how it has a legacy in so many of these other genres that Black people created that were specifically about resilience and specifically about resistance. And this is like, y'all doing all of this (laughs) for some rap. Clearly, it's something that is impactful to people. Clearly, they understand the power of it. Yeah. It reminds me of David Banner speaking in front of Congress where he was saying how Statistics will never show the positive side of rap because statistics don't reflect what you don't do if you don't commit a murder or a crime. When you see people going so hard at a particular art form, whether it's rap, whether it's, you know, books that talk about racism, it's like... You're telling on yourself. You're telling on yourself. Totally. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. Now it's time for Roll Credits, the segment where we give credit to a person, place, or thing that we've encountered during the week. And we have our guests, Jason and Kimba, joining us. But first, Eves, who or what would you like to give credit to? Today, I want to give credit to Black hairstylists. They are miracle workers. (laughs) They are sent from God. Um, I have had very interesting experiences, very varied experiences with Black hairstylists. And honestly, I've been burned, like literally and figuratively, (laughs) literally and figuratively, child. So when you find someone who actually does well, it feels so affirming. But also just in general, I'm thankful for black hairstylists. Like it's something that is a profession, but like also just has like a, a deep familial and intimate history in black life. I was thinking about how when I was a child, I went to the neighborhood person who took that hot comb, put it on the stove, and then put it on my head. And I didn't really care for the experience, but you know, it's love. Like it's love somebody putting their hands in your head and um, like, you know, doing this, working this magic. So I really, shout out to black hairstylists. I really would love to give credit to them doing your thing. There we go. <laughs> Jason, who or what would you like to give credit to? Um, uh, I, I'll just give credit to my two-year-old daughter. Uh, just because she, you know, life is just crazy. Just look at this human being and, and it just everything either doesn't matter or becomes clear or everything matters in a way that can be just uh, accepted. <laughs> and so, yeah, just watching her sleep this morning made me think, yeah, I'm thankful. Thankful for her. Aw, that's really yeah. sweet. sweet. <laughs> How about you, Kimba? Who or what would you like to give credit to? You know what? I'm going to give credit to my boy Malik. Uh, Johnson, who this movie literally would not have been possible without uh, from yes. Paramount, and he, uh, he 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 saw through the whole thing. He was on the ground with us, ten toes. Uh, the project wouldn't be possible without Malik. 
All right. All right, Malik Johnson, we see you. Um, I would like to give credit to the Georgia Archives. They have a lot of information about different Atlanta history, Georgia history. Um, and there's so much stuff like in boxes in archives that if you never go look at them and if someone doesn't like take them out of those boxes, um, the general public will never know these stories. Um, and I was reminded of about that when I saw Kimba in the archives looking at the different um, histories of black music. And so it was just a reminder to like visit your local archives, see what they got going on. Even if you don't consider yourself a researcher or academic, like it's for everybody. Your taxes pay for it anyway. So yeah. go hit them up. So how can folks keep up with y'all? The film premieres uh, in New York. There's a New York screen February 20th. Um, and then it comes out on Paramount Plus on uh, February 27th. Um, and yeah, I'm, I, that's the way to reach me. And it's been great to see people's feedback with them. It's just on Instagram at JM Harper for me. Yeah. Um, hit me on, you know, any social media platform at, at Kimberland. Come say what's up. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. I really enjoyed this conversation and the documentary, of course, too. Yes. Looking forward to more people watching it and uh, learning from it. Thank you, guys. This was fun. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Bye. If this conversation has sparked your interest, we encourage you to watch As We Speak, which comes out on February 27th on Paramount+. Plus. On Theme is a production of iHeartRadio and Fairweather Friends Media. This episode was written by Eves Jeffco and Katie Mitchell. It was edited and produced by Tari Harrison. Follow us on Instagram at OnThemeShow. You can also send us an email at hello at OnTheme.show. Head to OnTheme.show to check out the show notes for episodes. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.